Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to Episode 72 of This Week in FCPA for the week ending October 20, 2017, the Closing the Books edition. In this episode, I'm joined, as always, by Jay Rosen, Mr. Monitors, and we return for a wide-ranging discussion of some of the week's top compliance and ethics-related stories. We highlight the recently concluded uh, Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics, Compliance and Ethics Institute. Uh, We preview the Everything Compliance podcast, which was done at SCCE 2017 CEI. We take a look at Mike Bolkoff's one-week exploration of ISO 37001 and uh, highlight that. Also, Henry Cutter's report on the standard slow acceptance by Corporate America in the Wall Street Journal Risk and Compliance Report. We talk about an article by Ben DiPietro in the same uh, WSJ Risk and Compliance Report about the status of board training for compliance, board oversight, and board involvement in compliance. We take a look at the bribery charges brought by Italian prosecutors against Shell and former executives for its alleged bribery in uh, Nigeria. We consider the new revenue recognition rules, which are going to come into effect in December with Tammy Whitehouse's report in Compliance Week. Jay talks about the continued chaos in the Trump administration and takes a look at a Matt Kelly piece on additional ethical considerations from the termination of former HHS Secretary Tom Price in radical compliance. As we record this on Friday, October 20, the Astros are coming back to Houston down 3-2 to the Yankees. We ask, will they, were, will they overcome? We discuss the current podcast series of one month to a more effective compliance program, where in October I am considering business ventures. Uh, the This past week, I took a deep dive into joint ventures under the FCPA. This month's sponsor is the Volkoff Law Group available on the FCPA Compliance Report, iTunes, Libsyn, YouTube, and JD Super. We highlight the Everything Compliance podcast, which we did at the 2017 Compliance and Ethics Institute, where we have special guest Roy Snell sitting in for Mike Volkoff. We conclude with uh, Eric Feldman, Senior Vice President for Affiliated Monitors. He's coming to Houston on November 2nd to speak at the Greater Houston Business and Ethics Roundtable. If you're in Houston on that date, I would urge you to join us. Of course, there's registration and detail information on the show notes. And Jay previews his Rosen Weekend Report. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist. This Week in FCPA is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. Tom Fox back for another episode of This Week in FCPA, episode 72 for the week ending October 20, 2017. The closing the books on SCCE 2017 CEI edition. As always, I'm joined by Jay Rosen, Mr. Monitors, and we are both back in our respective homesteads. So, Jay, uh, it is coolish and raining here in Houston. What's it like in sunny California? Uh, it's overcast in 80, so it's a nice day to be back on the radio. It, it seems like we've, uh, uh, well, actually, are on the on the net. It seems like we've we've done this almost every day since last Sunday. Uh, indeed, indeed. So we had a couple of great podcasts from live from uh, SCCE. We uh, put them up on Facebook, and uh, they're gonna. They were uh, this week in FCPA. We were joined by Lewis Sapperman, the 
Chief Compliance Officer Dunn Bradstreet. We posted that. We did an everything compliance recording, also live on Facebook, where we had uh, Roy Snell, president of SCCE, sitting in for Mike Volkoff, who is currently on assignment. And that will go up uh, in the next week or so. And here we are back with uh, regularly scheduled uh, this week in FCPA on our Friday uh, date with uh, a fair amount of ethics and compliance stories for the past week while we were conferencing with 1,800 of our closest, most personal, intimate compliance and ethics friends. So maybe we can just uh, jump right into it. Sounds like a plan. Let's do it. So Mike Volkoff, uh, while on assignment, uh, has actually posted a very interesting series on um, ISO 37001. And uh, you, I think, had some, uh, some thoughts on that, Jay. Yeah, I mean, this is, um, there's been a, a very interesting debate that's been going on, I would say, for most of the last year. Um, I think you had a little interview with uh, Christy Grant Hart talking about it. And, uh, you know, the two sides of the coin on ISO 37001 is that, number one, it's an international standard that, um, you know, any company can apply for. There are certain folks who are actually uh, giving the credential out in Europe and some folks here in the U.S., but uh, the question is, is what new does ISO 37001 bring to the game? So in Mike's series, uh, part five came out this morning. I didn't get a chance to get into it, but in the four parts, uh, he takes a look at the good, the bad, and the ugly, what is good about it, what isn't, talks about how uh, top management and anti-bribery compliance uh, responsibilities affect the corporation. And finally, he tooks about and takes a look at risks assessments, employees, and due diligence requirements. And I think, you know, where Mike seems to be coming down is that there is some good to be had by having the certification. Um, in the past, we've noted that certain people who have gotten the certification like the Italian oil company ENI very shortly after was charged. Um, companies such as uh, Walmart are, are looking to get the uh, certification, but they haven't found the right group to do it. And uh, what I what my takeaway from Mike's piece, and uh, I'd be interested to see if you feel the same thing, is that there really is not a lot of financial guidance on how ISO will affect and protect uh, compliance controls in your company. And I think right now, that seems to be one limitation. The other limitation seems to be that the SEC and the DOJ have not come out one way or the other to say how much credit you're going to get from bringing on an ISO 37001 program. So uh, I think those are the highlights, but um, Mike, as always, takes a very even hand, uh, looks at the situation. He's got a lot of knowledge to share. So if you have a chance to go back in and uh, find this uh, series, we will attach to it on the show notes. But, um, Tom, how about your thoughts? So uh, I just want to echo your last point, Jay, that it's a really thorough, comprehensive look at it. Mike um, uh, does talk about the good and the bad. It's a very even-handed and balanced approach that he always takes uh, with his blog posts. So it's something that certainly the uh, compliance practitioner is not being lectured to. He's actually uh, being given the information that can make the decision for themselves, which is it really what what you want from this type of commentary. The um, uh, There are some good points. 
there are uh, the focus on employee due diligence. I think is something that uh, is lacking, has been lacking from an overall from a compliance perspective. Uh, Mike does note a deficiency in in the area of uh, internal controls. They don't really tie financial controls to your compliance program going forward. But um, the the bigger question that you really ended with, Jay, is what's going to be the regulator's view of this? And without uh, an adoption explicitly by the regulators, this this would be this is something that's really just sort of a I'm not even sure a nice to have works because I think anyone who's listened to this podcast knows about my thoughts on this. So um, it, it's something else else to have. Um, it's, I don't think it's needed to have, but if the regulators come out and say, this is one factor we'll consider, uh, then certainly that, that changes the, the internal calculus. Uh, the question I would have, the question I have about ISO 37001 is probably the same one the regulators have is there's no way to determine whether there is, they're actually, uh, do what I would say is doing compliance. What the department of justice would say is operationalizing compliance. So part of that, though, is because it's a standard that just uh, came into the fore, we're having really the very first rounds, literally, of companies going through the certification process. So there's no benchmark uh, or no standard to benchmark against in terms of the operationalization of a compliance program under 3701. You're going to only start that process when you uh, do your second or third or fourth uh, certifications. Uh, and, and frankly, by the time we get to second, third, or fourth certifications, we may be in a, a different place in compliance in terms of what's expected. So um, I don't want to sound too negative or, or too dismissive of this, but unless the regulators really say this is something that companies can use, um, it'll just be a nice to have, or, or at least an extra thing to have, in my opinion. So. So along the the I um, in the same vein of the certification, there's a couple um, articles from the Wall Street Journal we're going to link to. Uh, one is by Henry Cutter, and the title is "ISO's Anti-Bribery Standard Gets Slow Adoption," and the other one is from the Morning Risk Report from our good friend Ben Di Pietro, and it's entitled "Compliance Clamors for More Board Training." Um, what are your insights into those two articles, Tom? Well, first of all, let us welcome Henry Cutter to the Risk and Compliance Journal. He's uh, new to the team uh, and has been brought on board uh, to supplement uh, their team. So with Ben and Sam, uh, so we'll probably be seeing more bylines from Henry moving forward. What I got from uh, and Henry's piece really echoes uh, exactly what you said, Jay, that um, companies are slow to adopt the uh, standard Uh for many of the reasons we've talked about, uh, and and then adding on the one you articulated for Walmart, there's just very few certifiers. And how do you certify the certifiers, or how do you certify that a certifier, if I can, uh, uh, you know, uh, misnomer my um, uh, comments there, with uh, that they're actually competent to to make a certification. So uh, companies, I think, are, are reluctant uh, for the reasons we've discussed. Ben's article, though, um, really focuses on the board of directors and their role in compliance. And it's, uh, I think, an important topic. It's one I've written about. I, I really started a, a podcast 
around the role of the board in risk management because I see a lack of board involvement in the overall uh, management of risk, the utilize, utilization of a risk management strategy, the utilization of strategic risk as a part of a company's actual business portfolio. And compliance certainly slots uh, right into that. And every scandal we have seen, and you can name the scandal from, from whatever year you want to, the question is, where was the board? And uh, sometimes the board was not present. Sometimes the board had their head in the sand. Sometimes the board uh, was actively in, or at least knew what was going on. And in the case of Weinstein, uh, I think you can only say the board was a participant uh, because they approved all of the sexual harassment settlements that the company paid out on behalf of Harvey Weinstein. So we've got really a, a, a multitude of failures at the board level. And boards need to um, really understand not only their role, but they need to actually move forward and, and take that role, take up that mantle. They need to have a compliance professional, a true compliance subject matter expert at the board. There needs to be some part of the board dedicated to compliance and ethics, whether it's called risk management, whether it's called compliance. If it's in the audit committee, uh, the audit committee really focuses on the financials, and I would advocate that there needs to be a separate compliance committee. So Ben's piece really speaks to uh, kind of where we are, uh, the state of it. It, it largely uh, says that there are many challenges remain for both compliance professionals trying to engage the board and for boards trying to engage uh, in compliance. So hopefully uh, between uh, the, the podcast I put out, the discussions we have, the conferences, certainly um, Erica Solomon Byrne is quoted in Ben's piece, and she is, is a recognized subject matter expert over at Ethosphere, um, that we can get global companies uh, to put uh, compliance expertise on the board, and then have actual substantive oversight. So I really advocate that the boards need to be more involved. And really, Jay, you named the scandal, and, and the question we posed several times over the past few months was, where was the board? So um, <clears throat> there are some less than sanguine uh, statistics here. Um, you know, it's saying that they offer training, uh, 71% of the companies offer it once a year, 16% more frequently and 13% less frequently. So I think that also argues for the fact that it needs to be more than a once a year discussion. Um, it needs to be constant training. Uh, it can be broken up into different facets. And the other question, I don't know, <coughs> pardon me if it's addressed in this, but I, I think diversity is another issue that we're starting to uh, look at, and, you know, especially with the Weinstein situation that there was no diversity on that board that was approving those uh, legal payments. There, there's certainly that. When when you bring diversity, it's it's more than just having a, you know, a, a female or or an African American or Hispanic or a Latina or Latino or you name the culture uh, or you name the gender. It's what that person brings from their wealth of talent and experience. And you're absolutely right, Jay. I think if you simply had had a woman on the Weinstein board, it brings a different perspective simply because she's a woman. And that's something that uh, boards need to work on and uh, challenges still remain. And hopefully that uh, we could start to see some real changes uh, at the board level. 
So, Tom, you've written um, a couple great recaps over the first uh, uh, few days of the conference, and I know we're going to hit some of this uh, when we do the Everything um, Compliance podcast with Roy, but would, is there anything you'd like to highlight on your, your blog post from the conference this year? So uh, I think um, I think you and I, uh, but maybe it was Roy and I, really agreed. Maybe all of us agreed that the highlight was the uh, presentation of awards to the two uh, Bosnian uh, compliance professionals and, and the compliance professional, and the lawyer who uh, developed the entire whistleblowing law and hotline law and compliance law in Bosnia. Their, the speech, their acceptance speech. Uh, they uh, both gave acceptance speeches that were both very moving, and uh, really uh, a lot of people were brought to tears. It was so powerful. So that was probably the highlight for me. But as always, uh, putting myself around 1,800 compliance professionals is just an absolute great way to uh, meet not only meet old friends and see old friends, but exchange ideas and to talk about problems and issues and hear new ideas and new techniques. The um, Liz Wiseman gave a um, keynote about, uh, she called it, uh, she had uh, she has four children now, she had three at one time, The and they were all boys, six, four, and two trifecta, and uh, the uh, insanity and chaos in trying to put them all to bed at once, and that was worth the price of admission alone, just to hear that. Uh, I don't know how long she'd been working on that routine, but it was, it was great, uh, and she took the... Uh, the lessons she learned in the corporate world and applied them to putting her three boys to bed, and uh, it actually worked. So it was really worth it uh, just for that. The keynotes were great. Uh, the breakout sessions uh, were excellent. Um, the uh, They raised over $7,000 for the Wounded Warriors or America's Fund for Wounded Warriors and Families of Wounded Warriors. Uh, that was a highlight for me as well. Uh, so uh, lots of things. Uh, we both uh, are you. Uh, I, I wanted to ask: Will we see a Jay Rosen weekend report, and will it give your views or your recaps and summaries of uh, SCCE this year? Yes, it will be called "Who's in the Room and How You Do It." Excellent. So you know we'll see yours. So what were some of your highlights? Um, you know, I, I think since this is either my fifth or sixth CEI. Um, I wanted to try to take a different approach, and I went to a lot more of the advanced discussion groups um, to support my friends and um, saw a great panel on uh, the Wednesday morning with Jonathan Armstrong and um, uh, Mary and Chris, and I'm drawing a blank now for their last names. Because Christine Rubidoux. Not yes, Rubidoux. and Mary Rubidoux. And what about Mary from Fresenius? What's her last name? That one I don't. So know. anyhow, uh, it was great Robody. to be in there. <laughs> it was great to be in there and support my friends, and and I received that same kind of support uh, for the third year in a row. I did my advanced discussion group about uh, policies, procedures, and codes of conduct. Uh, one size does not fit all, and I think. Most of the strength from those um, advanced discussion room sessions are the people who are sitting at the tables. And what's really nice about leading one of those sessions is you're not there to flip PowerPoint pages and you're not there to show how smart you are. But it does help if you can drop a few jokes. But what I really like doing is uh, facilitating that uh, conversation. And we had people 
from all different industries and um, from all different levels. And, you know, good friends continue to support uh, my efforts. Uh, Nat Edmonds from Paul Hastings is always there. Uh, Jonathan Armstrong. So, um, you know, it, would be, it was a little bit different this year because they doubled the number of the advanced discussion groups. So I didn't have my same uh, ringers from the first session, but the second session went just as well, if not better. So um, I'm really uh, what what you'll hear in our discussion with with Roy and Matt and Jonathan is that I think we're all pulling for, um, you know, to make this conference the best it can be. And I think the more and more opportunities we can offer for small groups and interactive sessions, as you said in one of your things, Tom, uh, there are no trade secrets in compliance. And, uh, you know, another conversation I had with folks uh, over dinner, um, Samantha Kellen and I organized the first official orphans dinner, and we had 15 people that got together, a table of eight and table of seven at the Mesa Grill. And um, we all, you know, in our own way said that SCCE is home. This is a place where people have similar concerns and, uh, you know, they are engaged. And if you can't find an answer for them, there's somebody at that conference who you can make a connection like you did with somebody who was looking for a mentor in the Midwest. So uh, all that uh, will be part of my weekend report. Great. Great. So, uh, Jay, we had a little anti-corruption, uh, bribery and corruption news this week with the Italian prosecutors bringing some charges against Shell and some former Shell executives for bribery in Nigeria. Uh, this has embroiled uh, E&I e as well. Um, but uh, that's going to be interesting to see whether or not the Italians can actually move forward and, and prosecute the uh, Shell execs and former execs. Um, there was uh, Matt Kelly had a peek about uh, some additional ethical considerations from the now former HHS Secretary Tom Price. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, so there's this one comes up into, um, you know, timing is everything. And um, basically, uh, he was first uh, sacked on, uh, well, not first, but the, the sec former Secretary of HHS, Tom Price, was sacked on September 29th. And the article uh, or the, the news flash that first broke was on Politico.com, and that story hit on September 21st, and the article uh, was posted at almost 6 p.m. Eastern time. And exactly 17 minutes later, a top HHS official sent an email to all departments requiring them take a one-hour training on unauthorized disclosure of controlled information within 24 hours. So it seems to be one of those situations that the, uh, the barn door is open. And uh, to talk about Marjorie Doyle's cows from her ranch, they're already out running amok. So uh, it seems like, uh, again, as uh, former Secretary Price was uh, trying to minimize the cost of his travel to the past, uh, to the uh, taxpayers, uh, it looks like this was a, a very uh, late and lame attempt to uh, try to staunch the flow of information from uh, whistleblowers. Agreed. So uh, we've got a little sports uh, coming up this weekend, starting tonight, Jay. The Houston Astros are back in town uh, playing the Yankees. Uh, Houston went to New York 
up 2-0. They are now down 3-2. So the question I pose to you is, will they overcome? There will be a game seven. The Magic 8-Ball says this is so. Well, we've got Justin Verlander on the mound tonight, uh, but that presupposes the Astros will actually score some runs, which uh, they had a very, 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 very poor hitting series in New York. So I hope they get their head straight uh, for tonight. Um, so um, is it too early to talk Rockets? Um, we can talk Rockets, but I'm a little focused on the Astros right now. So uh, okay. I'm going to stick with, uh, with the Astros. I just want to remind everything that everybody out there that there's no money or pride riding on this, but there is the value of one man's word. And somebody on this podcast said, give me all your Yankee haters. Give me that hubris and I will take it off your shoulders. And the Houston Astros will face the Los Angeles Dodgers in an AL West World Series. So I'm still holding you to that. Well, I've uh, now extended that offer to all uh, Cubs fans who don't have to worry about uh, going back to the World Series. So I've got some love sent down from some of my law school buddies from Chicago. So if you're out there and you were a Cubs supporter uh, in the playoffs, you're still a Cubs supporter, I'm sure. But you've got some extra good vibes. Send them because, boy, the Astros need it. Um, and my my brain just turned on. So before we sign off uh, – Mary Shirley, how could I forget you and your last name? It was uh, great seeing you at the conference, and uh, you put on a great session with uh, Chris and Jonathan. So, Jay, two, up, yeah, two upcoming things I want to mention. The first is, uh, as I said earlier, the Everything Compliance Gang was there for a live Facebook recording that we're going to post as a podcast, hopefully go up next week. And in, if you're in Houston and going to be in Houston on November 2nd, Eric Feldman. Uh, AMI Affiliated Monitor Zone, Eric Feldman's coming to Houston to speak to our local ethics group, Gerber, Greater Houston Business and Ethics Roundtable. I would urge you to come uh, come to that uh, chat. Eric's an excellent speaker. speaker he's going to talk about util- utilization of monitors as a proactive tool to help you advance your compliance program. Uh, you can check out more information on the Gerber website. We'll link to that in the show notes. And we're certainly thrilled to host uh, Eric. And we're going to hold it, Jay, at Phillips 66, which is the newest corporate office in the energy uh, company space. And this office building is so outstanding that they actually use it as a recruiting tool. Uh, so it's frankly worth it for the going to the building alone but when you throw in eric feldman this is going to be a hopefully great uh great event and if you're in houston um or you're going to be in houston uh, or you want to come to houston this will be one uh, one for you to attend so check out eric feldman november 2nd from 1 30 to 3 30 at the uh, greater houston business and ethics roundtable at the phillips 66 building so jay uh with that we uh, we ran through a lot go ahead I was going to say there's some other thing you would be remiss for not talking about. And um, you've got a new uh, premier service offering called the Doing Compliance Masterclass. Do you want to tell our listeners about that? Sure. If you want to get the absolute top information on how to do compliance, how to operationalize your compliance program in a webinar format, 
I've uh, started this. Uh, next week we'll go. The, uh, we'll have the first webinar, which will go up. I'm going to go every month and take a deep dive into a, a topic of uh, operationalized best practices compliance program. This is designed specifically for the compliance practitioner. Designed specifically to tell you uh, what best practices are, and that you can either benchmark or incorporate into your compliance program. It's uh, going to be based on my upcoming book, The Complete Compliance Handbook. So it'll really give you the information you need to develop your own compliance program. So uh, look for that. Uh, you can check that out on my website. It's called Doing Compliance Masterclass the Series. So and, Jay, of course, everything we discussed will be uh, linked to in the show notes. So uh, all that information will be available to you once you download the podcast. Sorry, Tom. Uh, with that, you want to take us home? Sure. On behalf of Tom Fox, the Compliance Evangelist, and myself, Jay Rose, and Mr. Monitors, we would like to thank you for joining us for this week in FCPA Episode 72, the Closing the Books edition on the SCCECEI for the week ending October 20th. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you for listening to this episode of This Week in FCPA. If you have listened to this podcast on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate our podcast as it would help in our rankings and also help get out the word about the only weekly podcast which takes a look at the week's events in compliance and ethics. Also, if you have any questions, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. You can email Jay at jrosen at affiliatedmonitors.com. Thank you again for listening to Episode 72 of This Week in FCPA, and I hope you'll join us again next Friday for Episode 73. This Week in FCPA is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.